Have you ever had one of those aha moments like, God has been so good to me, and maybe you said, I want to build something for God. I want to do something for God. And yet in this chapter, as David thinks that way, God says, the Lord will make a house for you. God wants to build something in you and for you, with you and through you. We'll learn more about how he does that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Responding correctly to God is the most important thing in your life. What house is God asking you to build? What ark is he asking you to build? Noah was told to build an ark, and it seemed like a crazy idea. It may have never rained. And he's told to build this ark. And it took a long time to build it. And the question that you and I should be wrestling with this morning is, what has God called you to build? And are you willing to build it by faith, one person at a time, one hammer blow at a time, no matter how many helpers that you have or don't have? And so here's what happens. This is 2 Samuel 6, 7, 6. He says, For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. I've been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Now, there was a portable structure that God had given Moses uh, dimensions and the framework to build both the tent and its furnishings. And that tent would be packed up as they moved around. We're told at the very end of the book of Exodus, just write this down for your notes, Exodus 40, verses 36 through 38, that God would move around with the people. It says these words, for throughout all their journeys... Exodus 40, 38, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day. There was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Now the Bible says that heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you can build for me? This is Isaiah 66, one and two. Where is a place that I may rest? For my hands made all things, thus all things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. You could say it this way. To this one I will dwell. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. If you want to have God's presence in your life, it doesn't happen in sanctuaries per se. There are some people who have the mindset that when you pray, you have to go to an official church building. That is not the case. There are many beautiful sanctuaries throughout the world that are as empty as empty can be. In Europe right now, a lot of empty cathedrals, a lot of places of worship that once resonated with the worship of God and the word of God, and now they are empty. In fact, some of them have become mosques. Some of them have become used for other purposes. God says, if you want to know something about me, here's what you can know. I dwell with those who really are broken and want to know me. In fact, we have become the temple of the living God. Amen? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's cool to have a nice sanctuary. Don't get me wrong. We all appreciate this, don't we? It's pretty nice. Do you remember the old building? How many of you were in the old building? Do you remember how many fire laws we were breaking in that old building? There were people who told me, 
I wouldn't come to your church for a while because I am claustrophobic. And then some of you sat in that little makeshift uh, foyer that we had with the television that popped up out of the 1970s piece of furniture that we had there. You guys were troopers. It was awesome to see. And now we have a little bit more space and we celebrate that. But in the end, what God cares about is right here. Cares about our hearts. He wants to do a building project in you and me. Now, therefore, as God is speaking to Nathan, thus you shall say to my servant David, verse eight, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. Do you remember where David started? When Samuel went to his dad's house, Jesse, and the sons lined up, do you remember what the prophet said? Surely he's got to be the king. Nope. Surely he, surely, nope, 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 nope. And finally he had to say, hey, do you got any other kids around here? Yeah, there's a ruddy one out there uh, tending the sheep. Number eight. And you know what? He became the king of Israel. He was the unexpected choice. Even the prophet didn't know. God delights in using unexpected people. Have you noticed? That's why I'm standing up here, by the way. I've told you guys many times. In school, I would act like I was sick on oral report day because I hated speaking in front of people. Now, that's all God has me doing. I do believe God has a sense of humor. <laughs> and so, and my mom was such a protective mother. All I had to do is say, I don't feel good. And she'd say, okay, stay home. I didn't even have to heat up a thermometer or anything like that. He says, I'm going to make your name great, but I don't want you to forget where you came from. You were number eight. You weren't the firstborn. You weren't the logical choice. You weren't like Saul, head and shoulders above the rest. Don't think that just because you look at the outward that you can't do something great for God. Don't you believe that? God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks where? At the heart. That's what he cares about. And so David is going to become a very prominent man. In fact, David's name is one of the most recognizable names in all the world. David's name is mentioned over 60 times in the New Testament. In fact, you would not be sitting here right now if it weren't for David. Because Jesus comes from the line of Abraham, the line of Isaac, the line of Jacob, but ultimately he is the son of David. When Jesus was on the planet, there were people who cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. There were people who asked the question in the book of Matthew, could this be the son of David? There was a Canaanite woman who called him the son of David and said, please heal my cruelly demon-possessed daughter, son of David. Those who were the scholars of the day knew that the Messiah would be the son of David. Matthew 1.1 opens the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Do you know that the New Testament opens with the name of David? He has a great name, a glorious name. Even Old Testament scholars would tell you that there's verses, for example, in the book of Ezekiel that may indicate that David will reign in the coming millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's a little hard to tell whether it's speaking in some cases of the greater David Jesus or of David himself as some sort of vice regent to the Lord Jesus Christ. David is an incredible name. If you turn to the book of Acts for a second, Acts chapter two, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and there's just been a miraculous happening by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what Peter preaches to them on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter two, look at verse 23, 2.23. This man, he's speaking of Jesus, Acts 2.23, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God, Acts 2.24, raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, Acts 2.25, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope because thou will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow thy Holy One to undergo, undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou will make me full of gladness with thy presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David but that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Would you notice? It says David in verse 30 was a prophet. He knew that God had sworn to him by an oath to seat one of his future descendants upon David's throne. And so David 31 looked ahead and spoke of what? The resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. What you're going to notice if you turn back to 2 Samuel 7 is this chapter famously lays out what's called the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. And now in the Bible, there are several different covenants. There's a Noahic covenant in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter, I think it's chapter 9. There's an Abrahamic covenant. If you want to know how this works and you're thinking, Pastor Michael, it's too early to be giving us covenants I understand. You'll get your donut afterwards, but stick with me for a second. These, these covenants, just if you put an IC on the end, you got it. Noahic. See, we sound smart until we really see what people are doing. We just put an IC on the end. Abrahamic and a Davidic, Davidic covenant. You say, well, what are those? Well, the Abrahamic covenant is very significant. It's an unconditional covenant in Genesis 15. The Noahic covenant, we understand what that is. There was a covenant at Sinai that God made with the people of Israel. And there's a Davidic covenant. And the Davidic covenant is this. God is going to send a future person from the line of David that will sit on the throne forever. Amen. 
That is what is coming. So notice, back in Second Samuel. Hey folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. In the book of Genesis, uh, chapter, I think it's chapter 9, there's an Abrahamic covenant. If you want to know how this works and you're thinking, Pastor Michael, it's too early to be giving us covenants, I understand. You'll get your donut afterwards, but stick with me for a second. These, these covenants, just if you put an IC on the end, you got it. Noahic. See, we sound smart until we really see what people are doing. We just put an IC on the end. Abrahamic and a Davidic, Davidic covenant. You say, well, what are those? Well, the Abrahamic covenant is very significant. It's an unconditional covenant in Genesis 15. The Noahic covenant, we understand what that is. There was a covenant at Sinai that God made with the people of Israel. And there's a Davidic covenant. And the Davidic covenant is this. God is going to send a future person from the line of David that will sit on the throne forever. Amen? That is what is coming. So notice, back in 2 Samuel 7, verse 10, he says these words, I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly. Even from the day that I commended, commanded judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Now, David said, I want to I make something cool for the Lord. I want to I make something special for the ark to dwell in. But the Lord says, no, David, I'm going to make a house for you. And the word house here is not a physical structure. The word house speaks of a lineage. It speaks of descendants to come. Right now, I have three boys. We celebrated a 10-year anniversary at the church, and my three boys got up here, and they have grown so fast, it's, it amazes me. They're all tall, strapping, good-looking young guys. It's just totally unfair what time does. But I look at each of them, and I, and I see promise. I see hearts that want to serve Jesus Christ. They are my house. You know, wherever we end up living, whether we live in Corona or we live in another state, my house will continue through those boys. And what God is telling David right now is you're going to have a house, and it's not a physical structure. In fact, it's going to be really captured in a, in a throne. And from your line, even though you were the youngest of eight, David, you were the unexpected choice. From your line will come the Savior of all mankind. Can you imagine hearing that? You know, Mary was pretty blown away to be the maid servant of the Lord when she was told, you've, you've gained great favor. You are blessed among women. 
She had to be blown away that she would be the mother of the Messiah. But think of David. David, the unexpected choice to be the king, now is going to be told prophetically through Nathan the prophet that from your body is going to come the savior of the world. Can you just park there for a second? Can you just let that sink in if you're David? You're thinking, what? You, you had a building project in mind and you could have built a grand structure, but eventually rust and decay and all of that happens. And, and we do know that the temple was destroyed by foreign armies on several occasions. Buildings come and go, but this family and the throne that comes from it will last forever. God says, I'm going to make a house for you. The Bible is of ultimate worth because in it, God makes his promise. Faith brothers and sisters, is believing God's promise. Here's God's promise. Galatians 3.22 says, the scripture has shut up all men under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. 1 John 2.25 says, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. What really matters? What's gonna last in the end? It's not going to be structures. It's not going to be where we live or what we build. It's going to be people. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 2.19 indicates that people are going to be your crown one day. I don't believe that you're going to literally drop a crown before the Lord, a literal crown before the Lord. That may be, but I think your crown before the Lord one day is going to be people. People that you invested in, people that you edified, people that you brought to Jesus people that you are building up right now. Let me ask you, how many little jewels are in your crown right now? How are you doing with that? See, this is the way we measure life. Solomon wrote Psalm 127. Interestingly enough, most of the Psalms are not penned by Solomon, but he wrote these words, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Solomon wrote that, and some people believe he wrote it about the temple, the house being the temple. But think of the house in this sense. Unless the Lord builds your house, you labor in vain. The average college student today, if you interviewed them and said, what are you living for? Do you know, Ravi Zacharias this morning was talking about he had spoken to something like 50,000 college students in one venue because it was being projected uh, in three different sites. And he said, you know, the most common question for college students that they were wrestling with was really two questions. Does life have any meaning? And how do I overcome a pornography addiction? Did you hear that? The biggest questions that college students are asking in these settings of our national universities, state colleges, you name it, are, does life really have any meaning? And how do I overcome a pornography addiction? Does that tell you a little bit about where our culture is, folks? Does that tell you a little bit about where we need to do our work? It's in the area of ideas. It's in the arguments for truth and love and what really matters. And is there something that you can really say is the anchor of your soul? Something worth living and even dying for? Our college students are asking those questions. 
And God says to David, when your days are complete, verse 12, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant, your offspring or your seed. The Hebrew is a singular noun here. It could speak of a multitude or a single individual after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. Would you notice in verse 12, it says, when your days are complete. David, you're going to live a certain amount of time and you're going to lie down with your fathers and I'm going to raise up a descendant who will come forth from you, from your body. He'll be your seed and I will establish his kingdom. Now, for those of you who have looked at the Davidic covenant before, you know that most scholars say 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16 is the promise to the throne of David applying to the Messiah. Notice what happens. He shall build a house for my name, 13, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The immediate context, brothers and sisters, is Solomon before us, but the greater context is the Messiah coming from the throne of David. You might say, well, Pastor Michael, how do we know that? Let's take a look at one other parallel passage. It's in the book of Hebrews. So go all the way to your right, quite a bit, and you're going to get to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, the writer is celebrating the superiority of Jesus Christ to everything, to angels, to Moses, etc. And in chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 5, the writer tells us these things. He says, Hebrews 1, verse 5, to which of the angels did he ever say, the father ever say, Hebrews 1, 5, thou art my son, Today I have begotten thee. And again, Hebrews 1.5, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. Would you all note in Hebrews 1.5, you need to write down 2 Samuel 7.14 because what you're going to see is 2 Samuel 7.14 is being quoted in Hebrews 1.5 part B, the latter half of the verse. This is a quotation from this promise to David in 2 Samuel, and it is about Jesus. Notice in verse 6 of Hebrews 1, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, the father says, thy throne, O God, is what? Forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. The father says of the son, Jesus Christ, he calls him God in Hebrews 1.8 and said, says his throne will last forever. Now hold that thought and go back to 2 Samuel and we'll have to move quickly through the latter half of this. But here's what it says. 2 Samuel 7, return there for a second and look at verse 14. 2 Samuel 7, 14 says, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. That's the quotation you just saw in Hebrews 1.5. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. Now, sometimes what you'll see in a prophecy is a dual fulfillment. This is one of those cases. And here's what happens. Sometimes it's speaking of the greater David that will come from David's body, and sometimes in the immediate context, it's speaking of Solomon, or even from that plural, uh, or the singular Hebrew that can mean plural. It could speak of future kings. Take David, for example. David committed his famous sin with who? 
Bathsheba. Did he experience consequences? And all God's people said, yes. Were they severe? Yes. The baby died. The sword never left David's house. What he did in secret, God said, your sons are going to do in open public. However, the promise was never revoked from David. No matter what Solomon did, 700 wives. Oh, just think about that, brothers and sisters. Talk about need of counseling. And 300 concubines. Can you imagine that? A thousand women in your life. Just think of what date nights had to look like. It would take you three years just to date each one of them. And that's if you did it every night. The dude had problems. However, no matter what Solomon did, he could not reverse the Davidic covenant. Jesus was coming from the line of David. And let me say to you, no matter what you do, no, no matter how many times you fall on your face, no matter how many times you skin your knee, you cannot reverse the new covenant. You are sealed for the day of redemption. But I've got news for you. If you blow it, be prepared to be spanked. Because daddy spanks. You will not stop being his son. This is my understanding of the new covenant. When you blow it. But be prepared for a spanking. Hebrews 12 verses 5 through 11 says, God disciplines the son or daughter in whom he delights. He is not going to leave you. He is not going to forsake you because his new covenant is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. However, if you continue to play games, he will give you consequences. And I'm sure if I started a line right here and you all came up, you could testify to the truth I am now sharing. Would you agree? He's going to be true to his word, but the way you enter the kingdom is largely dependent on your obedience. Or if you don't, you're going to walk in limping with band-aids all over, but you're going to make it because God is faithful. But I would say to you, spare yourself the grief and the spankings and get on board with his program. Amen? Do it his way. Otherwise, you're going to get the strokes. Verse 14, the rod of men, the strokes of the sons of men. Usually, that's how it works, right? And if you think about Jesus, even though he was totally innocent, so this can't apply directly to him, he was treated as though he had committed our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-beings fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. He was crucified for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth, and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. 
You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.